You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. All right, well, good evening, church. Good to see everybody here. Happy Wednesday. We're going to continue our um, series in Revelation tonight. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 2, I'll uh, read the passage to you. Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. We're going to be talking about the church in Smyrna tonight. The church in Smyrna. Let me read the verses to you. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and who came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. In In his book, Sea Stories, My Life in Special Operations, Admiral William H. McRaven tells a story of when he trained to become a Navy SEAL. He graduated in the 1970s from University of Texas, and uh, two or three months later, he went through the SEAL training. And he talks about when he started, they had, you know, uh, dozens and dozens of, of candidates, and as time went on, that, that number slowly uh, decreased, and people would opt out. And um, he talks about right before, the, they were about nine weeks into their training, and they had a very hard week in front of them, and uh, there was an officer that stood up from the stage, and he said, he is addressing all the, the candidates. He just said, at some point during the week, all of, uh, all of us will falter. At some point, each of us will think about quitting. We will be enticed by the instructors to leave the ice-cold water and go someplace warm and cozy where you can relax and, and forego the pain. They will tell you that all you have to do to get a good meal and a warm bed is ring the bell. Ring the bell three times and you're out. And he, McRaven went on to write that as he looked around the room, he could see the fear in the eyes of the candidates. And, and then the officer said again, don't think about quitting. Don't think about how hard it's going to be in an hour or a day or a week. Calmly, with a look of complete confidence, he said, just take it one evolution at a time. McRaven wrote, one evolution at a time. One evolution at a time. These words... This is McRaven writing, these words would stick with me for the rest of my career. They summed up a philosophy for dealing with difficult times. Like many things in life, success and buds didn't always go to the strongest, the fastest or the smartest. It went to the man who faltered, who failed, who stumbled, but who persevered, who, who got up and kept moving, always, move, always moving forward one evolution at a time. When you and I think about the Christian life, all of us experience affliction of some type. When I say affliction, I mean some type of suffering, could be sickness, could be persecution, some type of pressure, some type of tribulation. Either we are currently, or even it could be something in the future that we fear, right? It could be something down the road where there's some type of illness. Oh, I hope I don't ever get whatever that is, or I hope we don't ever have to go through that. I hope we don't ever have to go through that situation. And that fear can grip us, and, but oftentimes we fear things that never even happen, right? 
We just, we get, we just become fearful. And so tonight, Jesus is right speaking to a church at Smyrna, and he tells them, do not fear what you're about to suffer. He doesn't tell them he's going to take them out of the situation. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. And then he tells them why they should not fear. And so tonight, I want to talk to you about the affluence of affliction. The affluence of affliction. And you might think those two words should, shouldn't go together. Affluence and affliction. And, and, and maybe they shouldn't. But, but out of this passage, I'm telling you, they do. Because there is something to gain when we go through affliction. So just, just hang with me. But look there, Revelation 2. The affluence of affliction. I want to share five principles, five principles with you tonight on affliction. So we said a couple weeks ago, the author of Revelation is John. And in AD 95, John, is, as he tells us here in chapter 1, he's on the island of Patmos. He was put there. He was being um, persecuted. So he was sent there. And it's off in the Aegean Sea. And, and John had been living in Ephesus. And who, so Jesus appears to him, and, and, and John sees him, and, and, and he falls on his face before the Lord. And, and Jesus said, fear not. I am the first and the last. And those are the same words we read here in verse 8. And Jesus had a word for the church of Ephesus. Remember, two weeks ago we looked at the church of Ephesus, and they had done a number of things really well. They had done six things. They were doing very well. But Jesus said, there's one thing I have against you. You have abandoned your first love. Remember that? And so we come here to the church at Smyrna. Jesus doesn't have anything against the church at Smyrna. As far as we know, they had no weaknesses. But they did have, they were in the midst of struggle. They were the most persecuted of the seven churches that Jesus writes to. So Jesus has a word of encouragement, a word of instruction for them to, so they can endure the persecution. So but before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about Smyrna. Let's, let's get acquainted with Smyrna. Smyrna was located about 40, I've read anywhere from 35 miles to 50 miles north of Ephesus. It, it also was a seaport town on the Aegean Sea. It also had a harbor, just like Ephesus did. At the time of, of Revelation, when it was written, it had about 100,000 people living in the city. So it was, it was a, a good-sized city. Today, the city still exists. It's called Izmir. And it, it is a, a very modern city. It's the third largest city in Turkey with 200,000 people. And um, Smyrna, the most popular product there was myrrh. And we think that's where Smyrna got, his na- got its name. So the myrrh, which was an anointing oil, it was used for embalming in Egypt. And so in all of ancient minor, there was no city that was more beautiful than Smyrna. It began at sea level, and it would rise up the hill. There was a mountain there behind it. And so they say if you would stand at the harbor and look up the hill to the city, it looked like a crown. It looked like a crown. In fact, on their coinage, they had the image, an emblem of a crown on, on their coinage. And so it was, it, was, it was the crown city. It had beautiful architecture. It had a roadway known as the Street of Gold. It was a beautiful city. It was the first city in Asia to build a temple to the goddess of Roma in 195 B.C. It also had a temple built to honor Zeus. It was the envy of the ancient world. We, we think Smyrna was so loyal to Rome that they actually worshiped the emperor there in Smyrna. And so Jesus comes to them. He says, and to the angel of the church uh, in Smyrna, which I said a couple weeks ago, I think the angel, I think he's talking to the pastor, the human messenger to the church in Smyrna, Jesus says, the words of the first and the last who died 
and who came to life. Now, first and last, that goes all the way back to Isaiah 44, 6, where God says, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And so there may have been emperor worship there in Smyrna, but Jesus tells them, hey, I am the first, I am the last. I am the one who controls the past, the present, and the future. I am the only one worthy of worship, he, he is saying. And the Smyrnans, that would have encouraged them. They would have thought, hey, uh, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to worship someone who's in charge of the whole universe. I'm, I'm going to trust him. And so the residents of Smyrna, Jesus wants them to know, don't give in to the pressure of those around you who are worshiping the emperor. Don't, don't give in to that pressure because he's the first and the last. Notice it says the words of, of him who died, who died and came to life. Smyrna had actually died as a city. In 600 BC, it was defeated. And then when Alexander the Great came through there in 334, he ordered the city to be rebuilt. And so about 40 years later, the city was rebuilt in 290 BC. So the city itself had died and had come to life. But Jesus said, I am the one who died and who came to life. And now, he, as we know, he lives forevermore. In verse 9, Jesus gave us insight as to what, what's happening, what was happening at the church of Smyrna. He says, I know your tribulation. He's going to tell him he knows three things. I know your tribulation, your poverty, and the slander uh, that they were enduring. So tribulation means pressures. It also means extensive affliction. There was some type of affliction, some type of tribulation, some type of pressure on top of them that they were experiencing. And so we get an explanation of what that was here in just a little bit. Part of that was they were being persecuted by the Jews. The Jews and the pagans teamed up against them and would take their property. They, they would steal their property. Now, Christians in this day were normally in the lower class and the poor class of society. So they were already poor, but then these people come along and would take their property, they would take their jobs, and so they, they, it just became even poorer. And so because of that, they were enduring Tribulation. So poverty here means denying even the basics of life. And as you read through the, the Word of God, especially the Old Testament, it's filled with God's love and concern for the poor. Just, just a couple of verses. Psalm 3510 says, You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and needy from those who rob them. The, Psalm 82.3, Defend the weak, the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the, of the poor and the oppressed. God cares about the poor. He, 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 he helps them. And so I, I know we minister to the poor, but I hope we will do even more. We'll serve and love the poor because I believe God pays for what he orders. So he's going he's gonna to help us. He's going to meet our needs as we meet the needs of those who are poor. And so Jesus says, I, I, I see your poverty. I know your poverty. And, uh, but he actually says, but you're rich. You're rich in faith. Your soul is rich because they were saved. So you may be materially poor, but spiritually you're rich. And so here's, here's the first principle on affliction. I want to give you five principles about affliction tonight. Here's the first one. Our afflictions do not catch Jesus by surprise. Our afflictions do not catch Jesus by surprise. Jesus said, I know. I know. That word know means full and exact knowledge. Jesus had full and exact knowledge about this church. He knew exactly where they were. He knew exactly the affliction they were enduring. He knew exactly what was going on in Smyrna. And, and some of you, like Patrick said, some of you, 
That's where there is some type of affliction. You, you may not show it. You may come in with a, a smile and everything looks good, but there's some type of affliction going on. Uh, met with a guy this morning, sharp looking young man. Looks like he's got everything going for him. He's been in, been in, in the U.S. military and, and just lost, lost his job a few months ago. And so now there's financial affliction going on and he's had a baby and and, and you never know, you never know, because he, he looks great. He's, he had a smile, he was, he was very warm. He's not a member here, but great to talk to. But, but there's an affliction in his family. There's an affliction going on. And so you, you, you probably have one, or, or if not, there's, there's one in your, in your family or in your neighborhood with your friends. And, and, and um, I just want you to know, Jesus knows your affliction. He has full and complete knowledge of your affliction. No one else may know. Your spouse may not know. Your kids may not know, but Jesus knows. And, and just as one of your ministers, we, we would love to know because we'd love to minister to you. That's, that's what we're here to do. This church is here to serve and to love you and to help you. So we, we would love to share that burden with you. But they don't catch Jesus by surprise. And the next, the next principle is found in verse 9 as well. Uh, Jesus says, I, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Slander talks about speech that is defaming, that is disrespectful, that is reviling. This slander was, slander was aimed personally at the Christians. And it was by people who thought, who claimed to be the people of God, who claimed to be Jews. And so uh, Christians in this era were often slandered. There, these were some typical uh, comments that were made toward Christians. They were often accused of cannibalism because they would talk about eating the body of Christ and drinking the blood of Jesus. And so those who were not saved just thought, that just sounds weird. I, I think that's, you guys are, you, you, you're involved in cannibalism. They also had love feast. They, hey, we're going to a love feast. And so uh, people on the outside thought, hey, that sounds like immorality to me. That doesn't, that doesn't sound normal. Christians, uh, they didn't accept the Greek God, so they were accused of atheism. Atheism. The Christians spoke about the fire of the Spirit and the fires of God's judgment, so they were accused of being arsonist. All of these accusations were, were, were lobbed over to Christians. They were slandered. And so these so-called Jews claimed to be committed to God, but, but were not. Jesus said, actually, they're, they're a synagogue of Satan. They're a house of Satan. Satan, as you know, means adversary. Satan was the, as the adversary of God. It was kicked out of heaven because of his pride. He's, he's opposed to God, and he's opposed to the people of God. He hates the people of God. He hates us. And so he's, he's the adversary of God. He's our adversary. John himself was a Jewish Christian, and he wanted to know, hey, the true followers of Jesus are those who obey him, are those who know him, not just because you're, you're ethnically a Jew, Paul wrote in Romans 9, 6, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. In other words, just because you're a Jew, that doesn't make you a child of God. You have to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's what makes you a child of God. You know, Jesus had strong language for the Jews. Think of, remember what he said in John chapter 8? He said, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Jesus had strong words for the Jews. And so here are, are Jews here who proclaim to be the people of God. Hey, we're Jews. But in reality, they were a synagogue of Satan. 
So here, here's a second principle on affliction tonight. Our, our afflictions can be agonizing. Our afflictions can be agonizing. Slander is agonizing. To have someone make false accusations about you, whether you read it on social media or it's something you hear at the office, it's agonizing, right? When you've got someone talking about you, you know it's not true. Even if it is true, the way they're saying it, it's hateful. It's agonizing. I've heard Pastor tell this story a couple of times some years ago when he and Mrs. Brunson were at a basketball game, an NBA basketball game, and the Dallas Mavericks were playing the Houston Rockets. And they traveled to this game. It was in Houston. It may have been a playoff game. I can't remember. But nonetheless, it was a hostile atmosphere. But they were sitting, they were either sitting next to or close to Don Nelson, who the former uh, basketball coach of the, the, the Dallas Mavericks. And Pastor said that crowd was all over, verbally, all over Don Nelson the whole game. They were just, whatever they were saying, just fussing at him, making fun of him. He said Don Nelson just sat there the whole time like this and didn't say a word. Isn't that wild? To just sit, he said, I mean, now he's a big man. Don Nelson is. He just sat there. He just sat there like this the whole time. Never said a word. Never flinched. Never got up. Never tried to defend himself. He just sat there the whole time. And Pastor said he just stared at him, just just in unbelief. Like, how in the world can you just sit there and take this? Um, you know, Jesus did a similar thing. Isaiah 53, verse 7 said, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep but that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. We're so quick to respond, aren't we, sometimes? We're so quick to respond, to defend ourselves, to make it, try to make it right, to try to retaliate, try to defend ourselves. It's agonizing sometimes. But there was Jesus didn't open his mouth and kept entrusting himself to the Father, it says elsewhere, entrusting himself to the Father, just trusting God. So in the midst of slander, in the midst of persecution, if, if that's your affliction, our role is just keep submitting ourselves to the Father. Keep, just keep trusting. God, I'm trusting you're in control of this. You're, you're going to help me. You're going to give me strength in the midst of this. Jesus says, I know. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. I know the slander. I, I know all about it. So verse 10, so so what do you want us to do, Jesus? We're enduring all these things. What do you want us to do? Do not fear what you are about to suffer, he says. So they already were suffering, but now there's, there's more coming. There's, there's, it's in the future. Don't, do not fear what you are about to suffer. The first word in this verse is not, and it's there for emphasis. He's saying, in no way, Christian, should you fear. Do not be in fear. Absolutely not. Don't, don't fear anyone. Don't fear the Jews. Don't fear Satan. Don't, don't fear what they're doing to you. And, um, and, and notice Jesus didn't say, um, don't fear because I'm coming to take you out of this. He, he didn't say that. He just said, don't fear what you're about to suffer. You're going to go through this, but I, I'm going to help you. And so this brings us to our, our third principle in affliction. Our afflictions do not have to cause fear. Our afflictions do not have... They don't have to cause fear. You, you and I don't have to live in fear that, that, uh, of whatever we think is coming. Or, I'll just be honest with you. There was maybe a couple of weeks ago, one of the Democratic presidential candidates said something about, um, you know, he wants to take away the tax exemption status for churches. And it caused me to get a little fearful. That, 
there's really no reason. The guy's probably going to get elected president anyway. But um, it, it just, when I first heard it, I, you know, I just, I didn't like it. And so uh, there's all kind of things like that, whether it's political, it's physical, there's something where we just dread something and it just causes fear. There's a ministry that we used to work with called Tampa Muslim Outreach. And their director, his name is Matt Walter. Um, I'd love to, for him to come sometime. He's a fascinating guy. Matt lived in the Middle East. He's a graduate from Yale University, incredibly smart, went to the Middle East. He was an intelligence officer with the Marines, spent some time over there. And then he, he stayed as a missionary, he lived in Jordan. And so he lived about 10 years in the Middle East. And so he absolutely understands the Muslim world and he knows how to minister to Muslims. And so he goes around to churches and he teaches churches, teaches Christians, how, here's how you minister to Muslims. And he'll tell them there are certain tripwires that you need to look out for. The, you, if you say this, then they're going to go in a whole different direction. So he tells you, hey, avoid these things over here. And here's how you interact with Muslims. And it's, it's so interesting. But one of the first things he teaches people is this. He says, you have to overcome the fear you have of Muslims. Because we watch the news and, and we see all these things that we can become fearful. We think, well, I don't even think I want to talk to them. You know, they're no telling what they're planning or, um, you know, they, they're probably from, you know, Saudi Arabia, where, wherever we think they're from and whatever we've been being fed on the news. And it affects the way we see them. And so we, we become fearful of them and, and we don't engage them. And fear pre- prevents us from doing what God has taught us, called us to do. And so that's one of the first things he teaches. He's like, hey, you have to see these people as God sees them. They're, they're people. They have souls. They're, they're lost. They've been lied to. They've been deceived by Satan. And so they need the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so be faithful to share the gospel with them. You know, don't, don't live in fear of them. Share Christ with them. And, and, and you guys know that. But it's just a reminder of uh, what, what fear can do, how it can paralyze us. And so verse 10 continues. He says, behold, he's getting our attention. There's something coming. Behold, the devil. So now he's, he's, he's called him Satan. But now he's also, uh, his, his other name is the devil, which also means adversary or, or actually means slanderer or accuser. So he's got the adversary and the accuser, the slanderer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. He's about to throw some of you into prison. That's what the suffering Jesus was talking about. Do, do not fear what you're about to suffer. That suffering was prison. He's going to throw some of you into prison. Now, prison in the Roman world was not used as an ongoing punishment like we might use it today. It was used as a temporary place where if you were going to be executed, you might be in prison for a short time. If you, if you disobeyed the emperor, they might put you in prison for a short time until something happened. But they wouldn't just put you there like for a life sentence. So, he, so, it's, so in other words, it's temporary. So the devil's going to, going to try to tempt you by putting you in prison. He says that you may be tested. Satan's going to do it because he wants to test you. The term for test means to entice, to improper behavior, or to tempt. Satan was going to tempt them to walk away from God. That was the point of his test. That was the, that was the whole point of his, his, his wicked scheme, so that they would turn and walk away from God. So, so Jesus is saying, don't, don't fear that. Don't, don't live in fear about going to prison because Satan is trying to test you. He's trying to tempt you so that you'll walk away from God. And for us, it may not be prison. 
It could be a financial struggle in your family. It could be a loss of a job. There's some type of an affliction, and Satan wants to use that for you to say, you know what, maybe God's not as loving as I thought he was. You know, we're having struggles in our marriage, and I, I just thought, you know, we both love God, and how could he let this happen? Satan wants to use those afflictions so that you'll turn from God and say, you know what, you know, maybe he's just, this is just not what I thought it was. And, and, and you turn for, from God. And so Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't, don't give in to that. Don't, don't fear that. Just, he's, he's going to give us some positive instruction in a minute, but he said, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't go there because there, there, there's a time capsule on the testing. Look, look what it says. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. It's limited for 10 days. Now, the question is, what does the 10 days mean? Uh, one possible answer is it's a literal 10 days, and it certainly could be. Um, another answer is that when, when people would go to the, the gladiatorial games, they would be put in prison for 10 days, and then they would go into the, the arena or wherever they had the games and where they would almost certainly be killed. So it could mean that as well. But here's, here's what I think it means. The, the interpretation that makes the most sense to me is that it represents 10 Roman emperors, all the way from Nero in like the 50s, 60s AD, all the way to Emperor Diocletian in the 3rd century AD. There were 10 Roman emperors, and Christians were persecuted during that era. And so I think he's saying, don't, don't, don't fear, you're going to be put into prison, you're going to be tempted for, that's a laws a couple hundred years. Couple hundred years, you're going to endure persecution, but he says, don't, "Don't don't live in fear for that because it's limited. It's real, but it's it's going to be temporary." So here's here's our fourth principle on affliction. Our afflictions have an expiration date. Our afflictions have an expiration date. They're they're not just going to be ongoing. Now they may be ongoing for the rest of your life. But at some point, if you believe in Christ, you're going to die and you're going to go to be with him. So there's an expiration date on, on your affliction, whatever it is. Now, it may last for years because you may live another 50 years or 10 years or however long, but, but it has an expiration date. It's temporary. It's real. It's painful. But, but it's not eternal. It's, it's just for a little while. In my hometown, there's a family that I grew up going to church with. And their names are Leonard and Betsy Cobb, Mr. and Mrs. Cobb, I call them. And they're around 70 years old now. And so Mr. and Mrs. Cobb had two boys, Justin and Brent. Justin was a year older than me school-wise, and so Brent and I were the same age. Uh, we were in the same school grade. And so probably from the time I was age three or four, uh, I, knew, I knew Brent. And so we grew up together in the church, and uh, we went to different schools, but we, we would play together, see each other at church, and I knew Justin. And so we went off to college, and Brent was my roommate my freshman year. We lived in a dorm together, a uh, good friend, great guy. Um, then my third year, I lived with Brent for about a semester as well. We shared a, a, an apartment with another guy. And so um, after college, I you know, kind of lost touch with him. I mean, I would hear updates from my mom or some, you know, social media things. Um, but Brent's older brother, Justin, was, um, he was Mr. MSU in college. He went on to be a, he was a, a lawyer. He was a, he got on, elected as a judge. I mean, very, very respectable, very likable, uh, both of them, 
guys and very successful in their jobs. Well, two years ago in 2017, early September, uh, Justin was very athletic and just went out for a jog one, one Saturday morning. He's got a wife and two young boys and his wife works at a public school and he went out for a jog and, and just fell over while he's out jogging and he had a heart attack. And someone found him there on the side of the road. They called the ambulance and took him to the hospital, but, but Justin didn't make it. Justin died. 43 years old, 42, 43. Just, just like that, Justin's gone. Two, two young children, uh, parents. Well, about, um, uh, I don't know, a week or two later, Brent and I communicated on social media, and um, uh, Brent went and had his heart checked out. Everything was fine as far as we know. Um, late September, Brent is driving to Auburn to go to the Auburn-Mississippi State game the next day. So he's driving on Friday with his wife. He also has a wife and two young boys. And they're driving to Auburn, and they have a head-on collision. And Catherine, his wife, and the two boys make it out alive, and Brent doesn't. There's a fire, and Brent burns to death. So in a matter of about three to four weeks, here's this couple, and they've lost both of their children. Both boys gone just like that. And we drove up for the visitation, for Brent's visitation. I hugged Mr. and Mrs. Cobb. And I'm, I'm just sitting there looking at a family who's lost. You talk about affliction. In less than a month, they've lost both their children. Now, they still have grandchildren, but their lives will never be the same. It's real. And some of you have lost children too. Now, for the rest of their lives, however long God, God gives them on the start, they will experience that, that pain. They will experience that affliction. So I often ask my parents, how, how, how are the cobs doing? Well, they're doing about as well as you might expect. That's usually the answer I get. They're doing about as well as you might expect. That's, that's affliction. That's, it's real. And, and, and Satan will test us. And it, we're, we're not immune from it just because we're Christian. As far as I know, that family, all of them are Christian. They're, they're, we're not immune from it. But uh, the good news is, is that it's temporary. It's, it's temporary because we, we don't have to walk away from God in the midst of it. I, I've been encouraged as far as I know, Mr. Cobb is, my dad's in the same Sunday school class with him. My dad went to his house one day and Mr. Cobb was out reading, reading the book of Job out in his front yard, just re, reading the word of God. So he's still growing as far as I can tell. And He's, he hasn't walked away from the faith. He's, he's, he's enduring this affliction that he and his wife and their whole family have had to endure. Jesus said, be faithful. Be faithful unto death. Be faithful. It's a command. Be faithful. Stick with it. Stick with it, church in Smyrna. So just keep being faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. See, there's affluence in affliction. There's reward. There's an award if we will stick with it. If we keep living the Christian life, if we stay faithful to God, that means we've placed our faith in him and we live out the Christian life as, a, as evidence of our love for Jesus. We, we stay faithful unto death. He said, I will give you the crown of life. He's saying, Jesus is saying, I will not remove the suffering, but I want you to be faithful to me, Christian, no matter what your course is, no matter what your affliction is, all of us, we may have different afflictions, but he says, just be faithful. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the crown of life. Remember what, what Paul said um, in Philippians 3.10, he says, that I may know him, talking about Christ, 
and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What if God is allowing your affliction in your life so that he will make you more like Christ? Have you thought about that? If maybe we need a different perspective on affliction. I'm not saying we should just say, man, come on, bring it on, bring on affliction. But maybe we need to not dread it. We don't need to dread it because God will use it to make us more like Jesus Christ. That's what I mean when I say there's affluence in affliction. So either we can embrace it or we can fight it and get angry and say, well, God doesn't love me. And, and, and that just proves we have a wrong view of the Christian life because we're not immune from anything. We, we, might, we might get at the worst, but, but Jesus says, be faithful. Be faithful unto death. Now, there are a number of crowns talked about in Scripture. This is really interesting. Uh, and I believe he's talking about a literal crown and an award. Uh, he's talking about, and I'll give you the crown of life. Um, now, I believe in Scripture teaches two judgments. There's one in Revelation 20, which talks is called the, the great white throne judgment. That's for unbelievers. But then there's also the judgment seat of Christ, which is found in 2 Corinthians 5.10. It's not for salvation. It's for evaluation. It's for believers who, who says we'll be evaluated for our works that are done for Christ, whether good or evil. Done for our works done in the body. So it's an evaluation of our life. But in 1 Corinthians 3.14, Paul wrote, if the work that anyone has, has built on the foundation survives, he will receive an award. So there's awards coming for us who, 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 who love Jesus. And I want to give you a list of these. This is several of them. 1 Corinthians 9.25 talks about an imperishable crown for living a disciplined life. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 talks about a crown of rejoicing for evangelism and discipleship. 2 Timothy 4.8 talks about a crown of righteousness. Paul talks about it. He said, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Remember that? In um, here and in James 1.12, it talks about the crown of life that's mentioned for enduring trials. 1 Peter 5.4 says there's an unfading crown of glory for those who faithfully shepherd God's flock. Now, this term for crown refers to a wreath. It's made of foliage, and it's designed to resemble foliage, and it's worn by, by someone who's, who's, who is um, held in high regard. And here it means it's an award for exceptional service. So those who endure affliction and stay faithful, Jesus says, I will give you a crown. He said, you have been faithful in serving me. Here's your crown. Here's your reward. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's just a pretty fascinating to think about. The Greeks called Smyrna the crown of Asia. Remember, we said the city, if you looked at it, it just looked like a crown. And so the Greeks, they, they, called, they, they called Smyrna the crown of Asia because of its beauty. Uh, it had beautiful architecture, street of gold. But Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to give you a crown that is permanent. I'm not going to give you, I'm not talking about a crown that can be destroyed. I'm talking about a permanent crown in heaven that will never perish because you have been faithful to me. You have remained faithful to the end. The word for crown is Stephanos. And it's not talking about something that was worn by royalty. It's talking about an award like to an athlete who won a contest. Here's, here's, your, here's your award. And so it was a winner's crown. And so the Smyrnans are invited to view themselves, whatever their sufferings are, not as losers, but as winners. 
So, Paul, so he's telling them, if you're enduring affliction, you're a winner. You, you can't see it now because it, it, everything around you looks, it just seems like I'm losing. But he says, one day I will put the crown on you because you were faithful. And you will, you, you're a winner. You're a winner because you endured it and you stayed faithful. You didn't walk away. You stayed faithful to me. Then Jesus ends with a call. He says, just like we, did, we saw a couple weeks ago, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Anybody who wants to listen, anybody can listen and respond and receive what Jesus says. Anyone who does, the one who conquers, that is the one who stays faithful, will not be hurt by the second death. See, the Bible talks about two deaths. The first is a physical death that separates the soul and the body. That's where we read that in Hebrews 9.27, is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. But here he's talking about the second death. It's also found in Revelation 20. The second death is separation of the soul from God. That's the second death. Those who were unbelievers, it says they were going to the lake of fire, and that's the second death. So the first death is physical death. So all of us will experience that unless Jesus returns. But he says, you're not going to be hurt. You're not going to be injured. You're not going to have to experience the second death. That is, you're not going to be separated from God. Because when we die, as Paul said, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So for believers, yes, you have to endure the first death, but you're not going to have to endure the second death. So here's, here's the final principle on affliction. Our afflictions are an avenue for an award. Our afflictions are an avenue for an award. The Smyrnans endured afflictions, but they, they were going to receive an, an award based on their faithfulness. So our job is not to avoid affliction. Our job is to remain faithful to God and just to serve him, to keep loving him. And so uh, a number of years later, 60 years later after this, after this was written, there was a man named Polycarp. It's a good time for a little church history. Polycarp was the bishop of the church at Smyrna. Now, it's possible that Polycarp was the pastor that this was written to. He would have been in his 20s at the time. But 60 years later, in 155 AD, Polycarp was the bishop of the church in Smyrna. And there were a group of Jews and pagans who turned in Polycarp. They turned him in. And so Polycarp was arrested. He didn't try to resist arrest. He didn't try to flee. He didn't try to run. He just submitted, and he was, he was arrested. He viewed it as part of God's will. Now, surely he would have known what this text said about do not fear about going to prison. And so he, were, he, he was there. He, he appeared before the person presiding over his trial, and the person uh, uh, presiding over the trial tried to get him to worship the emperor. And he said, you know, you need to think about your age. You're, you're an old man now because he was most probably in his 80s or 90s at the time. And so Polycarp refused to, to worship the, the, um, anyone else but God. And so the judge said, I want you to say out with the atheists, talking about the Christians. And, and Polycarp said, okay, out with the atheists. And he's pointed to the crowd, to, he pointed to everybody else. And so, again, the judge promised him. They said, Polycarp, if you will just swear by the emperor and curse Christ, you'll be free to go. And this is what Polycarp said. For 86 years, I have served him. 
and he has done me no evil. How could I curse my king who saved me? The judge threatened him with being burned alive. Polycarp answered, that fire will only last a moment as compared to the eternal fire that will never go out. Finally, after Polycarp was tied to the post and was about to die, he looked up and he prayed out loud, Lord, sovereign God, I thank you that you have deemed me worthy of this moment so that jointly with your martyrs, I may have a share in the cup of Christ. For this, I bless and glorify you. Amen. And he died. And he got, he received the crown of life, I believe, because he was faithful unto death. The question is, will we? Will we be faithful? Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.